It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, it's Manveen. With the Tory leadership contest at fever pitch, none of the rhetoric around the future of the Tory party seems to be addressing what was supposed to be one of Boris Johnson's defining policies. Today, I'm handing over to my colleague Satnam Sangera, who's investigating whatever happened to levelling up. Boris Johnson may be more divisive than Marmite, but most people would admit that he was pretty good at slogans. We'll never forget, get Brexit done, and sheer endless repetition means his government will forever be associated with the idea of levelling up. If you ask yourselves, what is this new government going to do? What is he going to do with his extraordinary majority? I will tell you, we are going to unite and level up. Unite and level up. When Boris Johnson swept to power in 2019, he committed his government to fixing Britain's huge regional inequalities. When I visited my hometown of Wolverhampton, I bet a local journalist that the Prime Minister wouldn't be around to see the fruits of his levelling up legacy just five days later. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. I should have put cash on it. So what now? Is levelling up over? I hope not. But if it is, where does this leave places like Wolverhampton? I'm Satnam Sangera columnist for The Times and a proud Wolfrunian. You're listening to Stories of Our Times. Today, Wolverhampton, a day in the levelling up capital. Let me start by saying something we don't hear enough. I love Wolverhampton. So much so, that I tweet about it every other day, mention it in features every other week, and have made it a theme in about three books. And like so many other Wolverhampton media types, I left the city when I was 18 and have lived elsewhere, mainly in London, but I still visit about twice a month. So when Tory ministers began visiting the city every other day, and the government also set up a second HQ for the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities in town, I was all for it. Wolverhampton is a fantastic place for levelling up HQ. It's a city of just under 300,000 people, about 15 miles outside Birmingham. It also has one of the highest unemployment rates in England. Back Brexit, 
and was a Labour stronghold until the 2019 election, when he voted in two Conservative MPs. So, as you can see, this map really changing shape in front of our eyes. In fact, if you come up here into the northwest of England, there's literally a path now, a blue path, from the west coast all the way over into the east coast. But it took over two years for the government's levelling up white paper to be published, and five months later, its main architects would all be out of jobs. Breaking news, Boris Johnson has sacked Michael Gove, just confirmed by number 10. Michael Gove, of course, is in the department for levelling up, a department created effectively for him. So I wanted to know, how do Wolverhampton residents feel about it all? And more importantly, if the policy is ditched, what will we lose? To answer these questions, I wanted to talk to Wolverhampton still living there, including a long-time local journalist and especially one of the new Tory MPs. So I invited our producer, the all-American Terrence Siegel, to come and join me on a tour of God's own city. The next stop will be Wolverhampton. On a Saturday morning earlier this month, Taryn arrived in Wolverhampton at the brand new station, which has mercifully replaced one of the ugliest in the land. I'd arrived in Wolverhampton the night before, hitching a ride with her niece. I know what you look like. Yeah. <laughs> you never know what to do. Nice to see you. Nice Yes, so welcome, Taryn, to God's own city of Wolverhampton. And, uh, For centuries, Wolverhampton was a small but important market town on one of the main roads connecting London and the north. Anything quickest way... Is that way? Okay, let's do it. In the 19th century, during the Industrial Revolution, it became a manufacturing powerhouse. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's no getting over the fact that Wolverhampton is, you know, was a really industrial place. Everywhere yeah. you look is industrial building. Yeah. For a period, and going well into the 20th century, it was booming. A new shopping centre was built. The town planners demolished large parts of the city in the name of progress and built the ring road. It means that everyone has to drive, because the town built for cars. It also means that no one goes into the centre. Mm. There are very few people. One piece of the sprawling, traffic-jammed ring road sits between the train station and the city centre. The ring road means that people wanting to enter the city centre from whatever direction need to navigate multiple lines of speeding traffic, concrete bridges, exhaust fumes, dark subways, and it seems, endless roadworks. But once you get into town, you realise that there's actually some amazing architecture. It's incredibly cheap. And it's actually quite a nice place to be. I'd much rather come here than some, you know, anonymous shopping centre. The ring road is jammed, but there's hardly anyone in the city centre. Um, the buildings here are actually massive on the inside, so that used to be... The building on the end used to be a massive nightclub. Is it still in the older days. It kind of looks shuttered at the... No, I think... As most of the city centre, most of the shops, or a lot of them, are boarded up here. Halfway up the high street, we come across yet another empty storefront. But instead of the front window, there's a giant chalkboard. On it, there's an invitation to locals to write down what they'd like to see taking over the space. Below are dozens of replies from residents. Daily bread. They want to stop drugs, but also open a weed dispensary. They want cameras on satellites switched on for all of us. <laughs> so yeah, I think some people might. Oh, actually ramen be a... cafe. That's oh, innovative. Bubble tea. Oh, there you go. Or... Someone wants an LGBTQ cafe. Okay. People have got. Someone some ideas. wants normal war in Ukraine. <laughs> mm. Someone wants chalk. 
Finally, we reach the very centre of town. So King Square is the very centre of Wolverhampton, the main square, named in honour of Queen Victoria. In the middle of the square, we have a famous Wolverhampton landmark, the Man on the Horse. There's a Punjabi version, the Banda Gorobur. It's actually a statue of Prince Albert, unveiled famously by Queen Victoria in one of her first public acts after his death. There's a local legend that when she unveiled it, the sculptor realised he had messed up and given the horse four front legs. The story goes that he went home and, in shame, killed himself. As you can see, the horse is perfectly normal. It doesn't have four front legs. But there's something in the Wolverhampton psyche that makes us want to believe, makes us want to believe that happened. It's about this need to endlessly tell self-deprecating <laughs> stories. About how terrible we are. Wolverhampton may be an ancient English town, but my family's connection to it begins in the 1960s. It was around this time that thousands of families from Britain's former empire began emigrating to the black country to do the jobs that there weren't enough English people to do. My parents moved here from the Punjab in India in 1968. I grew up in a tight-knit community of British Asians in a poor neighbourhood called Park Village, a short walk out of the city centre. I wanted to show Taryn my old neighbourhood so we walked the mile or so to Park Village. It's much rougher, like, in terms of tidiness. And when we were here, people were quite house-proud. And they, they gardened their gardens. Whereas their gardens now are mostly abandoned. Mm. And the streets really could do the clean. Sad, because I, I remember it being a very happy area. We walk a few streets and stand facing my old house on Prosser Street. The house where I grew up. Does it look the same now? It's got a brown door. The only thing that's the same, I think, is the roof tiles. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, it looks a bit rough, but I associate it with really happy times. I mean, we could just... At the end of the road, there used to be a pub, which my dad and uncles would frequent. Now it's been converted quite badly into bedsits. The front door is ajar, so we walk into the flat's hallway. It's hard to tally what we see with my happy memories of the place. Are open. Corridors are covered in litter. And yeah, so this is the pub. I think I can still smell the beer. <laughs> yeah, I think. But yeah, I mean, people living in one room. We've got a very, very dirty carpet. Yeah, and people have wired up improvised CCTV. Mm. Um, and the wiring is slightly exposed. Wow. Park Village has changed a lot since we left. In most ways, it looks like it's got worse. A lot of the upwardly mobile Asian immigrants, like my parents, have moved elsewhere, out to the suburbs if they can. But not everyone has left. I went to meet a friend of mine, Steve, who I first met when I was four. He still lives in Park Village. You're fine, Yeah, we're meet, meeting someone for lunch here. There's no one in the restaurant. We enter a restaurant called the Blue Brick in a branch of a Premier Inn hotel. Steve had suggested the place. We arrived early. Hello, Steve. Hello, famous people. <laughs> Steve and I lost touch after I left Wolverhampton, but about 10 years ago we reconnected in the strangest way. 
I was on a BBC Asian Network programme doing an interview about a new book and a listener texted the show, saying he was an old friend of mine. It was Steve. I just thought I'll message in saying, oh, hello, remember me? And then you reached out, gave me your number. I remember the message when it came in on the radio station. I asked, where are you now, Steve? And you replied saying, I'm exactly where you left me. (laughs) (laughs) It's very dramatic. All this time, Steve had been living on the same street, in the same house, where he grew up. He's Sikh, like me, and sporting a maroon and white shirt today, he's a natty dresser. He's also a film buff, but not used to being interviewed, has a habit of leaning back in his chair when he doesn't quite know how to answer a question. What have you done for work and stuff? A bit of everything. From newspaper boy to working in a supermarket, in which... The only positive is my Punjabi got better because I was surrounded by a lot of Punjabi speakers. And I remember being really excited getting my first office job at Empower. I was like, yay, I've arrived. Um, A whole varied range of jobs, two, three years here, two, three years there. But consistently in the background was a carer's role uh, because mom wasn't very well for a long time. So then it was always dipping in and out of regular work and then doing the constant work. And then it just got to the point where I couldn't balance the two anymore because her health started to decline quite rapidly. So I had to quit work. Jobs will come and go. I've only got one mom. So it just made sense for me to take on a full-time carer's role. And um, that went on for 23 years, 24 years, something like that. Steve's mother passed away three years ago after a lifetime of battling various illnesses. Now Steve is between jobs taking the time to grieve. I turned the conversation around to our old stomping grounds, places where we played all those years ago. So, I mean, Park Village, I went around it this morning, seems so much more run down than when we were growing up there. I was actually up that area the other day. I pass your old house uh, sometimes. And um, there was this whole bikers gang thing going on. There were all these kids like banging the balls off their cars and jumping around. And the road is just full of crap. Like you've got... Literally. You yeah, saw like, like a discarded nappy this morning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm surprised that's all you found. Steve's had a lot of issues in the neighbourhood in the years since I left. Judging by his experience, used nappies are just the tip of the iceberg. Crime has become a real problem, especially in relation to drugs. He tells me that the local police haven't been that helpful. It's just tedious and it's just exhausting because you go through all the channels that you're expected to go through. You contact the police, you contact the council, you've gone through environmental health, you've gone to the local council of Wolverhampton. You're literally just doing all this work and there's no um, result. We put Steve's comments to the local council and in an email they told us this, quote, We have listened to the needs of residents and his town is undergoing a £120 million transformation. We are not blind to the antisocial behaviour that remains in this part of East Town, and we continue to work daily with city partners to tackle this and further improve the living environment for everyone. We want better lives for Wolverhampton, and we hope that government pledges to level up Wolverhampton will equip us with the funding needed to build on the steady progress we are making in areas like East Town. Parts of Park Village nowadays are called his town. And speaking of levelling up Wolverhampton, what does Steve make of the programme? This levelling up you're talking about 
what's the point in having all these like flash buildings and things look fantastic when the system is so broken? When the money should be pumped into things like people being able to get to see their doctor on time or, you know, for example, like I say, having more police or... I know that's not the solution. That's almost like a knee-jerk reaction. Having more police doesn't automatically mean you're resolving an issue. But it does, to some extent, in some situations, help. Well, I think you're making a really important point because everyone we, I've talked to on this issue, they talk about the obvious things like the empty town center, you know, the roads, blah, blah, blah. But actually, the things that change people's lives are education, functioning council, lack of crime. I mean, these are all things that actually affect you, your life, right? Mm-hmm. And people don't associate those issues with leveling up. They think of the obvious things, buildings, mm-hmm. right? And that's just, that's not leveling up, it's showing off. Like, they just want to look flash. That's got nothing, what happens in city center has nothing to do with what's happening in my road on my road and so whatever amount of leveling up is going on it has no impact or no bearings on our lives it doesn't change anything i don't need wolverhampton to look pretty just want it to function coming up i put some questions to someone who should have the answers one of the new tory mps But first, a message from a colleague. I'm Kat Lay, health editor at The Times. Our health coverage spans everything from how the way we live can raise or lower our risk of diseases, to advances in medical treatment, to the problems facing the NHS and their potential solutions. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 
more than 20 Union Jacks <laughs> on the front of her, her office. Quite a statement. Yes. We're standing outside the office of Jane Stevenson, Conservative MP for Wolverhampton North East, which includes my old neighbourhood. She was elected in 2019 and replaced a Labour MP. Get a couple more fitted in there, actually. Yeah, a couple Might windows. Point it out to her. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, hi, Jane. <laughs> the office occupies a modest storefront on an A road, sandwiched between a large grocery store and a bookmaker's. Sweaty. Yeah. Hello, nice to meet you. Hello. We've got to cool down after our walk. Hello. Hi. As I mentioned at the start, the new department for levelling up has opened offices in Wolverhampton, setting up a second HQ here in the city centre. Have you had a big walk? Oh, we're just from the train station. Oh, that's good. That's a long walk. Yeah, in Wolverhampton, no one walks. That's the other thing. Everyone drives. Jane leads us into the office, which is very quiet, as it's a sat day. It's a long room divided by partitions, which gives it the feel of a COVID vaccination centre or a polling station. Jane is cheerful and energetic, but has the air of someone who hasn't had a break in about three years. She's wearing a bright green scarf and a blue and white floral dress, which contrasts against her red hair. It was the 2nd of July when we met Jane. At the time, Boris Johnson was still her boss but he'd be gone five days later. I think this is a Red Wall constituency. It was it was one of the ones that had a big political switch over uh, Brexit, mainly. My third of Wolverhampton voted 70% leave, so that was a big factor. Uh, and I think the industrial sort of background of Wolverhampton North East, definitely, I'd, I'd call it a Red Wall seat. So for you, levelling up is a huge issue, isn't it? I mean, basically a lot of people voted for you in the hope that these deprived areas of Wolverhampton would improve? Absolutely. To me, it was about improving the city. I could see a general election possibly brewing, and I could see what potentially would happen in that election. And I thought I would rather have someone representing Wolverhampton from here who knows the city properly and who knows, I think, what needs to be done. How do you think it's going? Uh, The pandemic didn't help. Uh, But I do think the government is really genuinely committed to that levelling up agenda. There is definitely that will because it benefits the whole country. It's not just about the deprived bits. Levelling up will benefit the leafy shires. It will benefit London. It's not either or having a more prosperous city and a more level uh, playing field for, for the region benefits everybody. In February of this year, the Department for Leveling Up published a 12-point plan where it promised billions of pounds for regional development. Each pocket of which had a different name. There was the Future High Streets Fund and the Cultural Recovery Fund for revamping museums and cinemas. And then there's the Towns Fund to help towns, quote, unleash their economic potential. And apparently there's 26 billion quid for green energy projects to help us reach net zero. There have been accusations that this money has already been announced in the past. And while some of these programmes are UK-wide, most of the funds target stagnating communities in the North and the Midlands. I agree with you, they really care, and it's reflected in the number of visits, (laughs) ministerial (laughs) visits we've had in Wolverhampton. Um, But do you feel like they've left it a bit late? 
I think that things haven't been left. I think lots of things, as soon as uh, the election happened, I was seeing investment pouring into Wolverhampton uh, and they've targeted things that don't happen in one political cycle. And that is often the issue with politics, you know, because people are aware they have to face the electorate again in a very short amount of time. But a lot of the funding that's come in is investing in uh, things like the National Brownfield Institute. She's talking about a new facility that was recently opened at the University of Wolverhampton Springfield campus. £17.5 million was invested into the institute, which will focus on developing modern methods of building. There's no doubt that it's a good and quick example of regeneration. The research centre got planning approval in December 2020, work started in March 2021, and it opened 10 months after that. That regeneration, that... uh that project of anchoring an industry back in Wolverhampton. And to me, that's home building, it's modern methods of construction, it's the green technology around housing and retrofitting. There are a lot of jobs there. There's a lot of opportunity there. And I think that's where government, quite rightly, is making things that'll stand for the long term. Um, What other things? Oh, my goodness. There's lots of Green shoots, the ministry moving here, I think is a huge That's the bonus. Ministry of Housing. Yeah, for, for levelling up. Uh, yes. It keeps changing name, but it's now DLUC, uh, which is Department for Housing, uh, levelling up in communities. So that's absolutely in the right place. That means that the levelling up agenda will be judged on Wolverhampton. It will be judged on outcomes here. Despite these green shoots, as Jane calls them, she admits that the city centre is in a sorry state. Beatty's closing was a massive blow. Yeah, that's such a sad thing. I mean, Beatty's being a massive, historic department store, yeah. right? This 130 is, years. We trade. all went there to get our school uniform. It was like Harrods for Wolverhampton. It really was. And, and if you got to go for afternoon tea in Beatty's as a child, that was your yearly posh thing to do. You know, it was very special. And I think... It is the building staying and there's going to be some residential, some retail on the ground floor. So it's not all, you know, super tragic, but until we get vastly more people and not just students, I think the the council's focused on a big student population. Uh, They don't have the money to support a city centre economy in its entirety. There are some great independent shops in the city centre now, uh, but we need more. Yes, I got people complaining that I didn't mention enough independent coffee shops in my piece. Yes, Zuri Coffee, fantastic. Tony's Day, I was so they're all there. <laughs> blinded by the fact that there wasn't a Starbucks. There is now, though. There is, yeah. yeah. Um, that's not in my constituency, so I, I tend to go to Wentzfield now just to show a bit of loyalty. At this point, my producer, Taryn, who was on her first visit to Wolverhampton, jumped in. I, mean, I think it's, it's great what you guys have you know, brought to life the independent shops and some of the recent developments. But it did make me think, so as we were walking here, Satman kind of showed me his um, his old neighborhood and we walked down Park Village. And I, I was surprised, frankly, that it, hadn't, it hasn't stagnated since he grew up. It actually seems like it's declined. It's, it's you know, there's more trash around. There's um, abandoned buildings or, you know, overtaken by yeah. characters. 
And I, I mean, I think that's part of the story as well. It seems like even if there's some redevelopment happening and it doesn't seem to be reaching all the areas, particularly. No, I think there's there's massive development going on um, in Heath Town. If you are uh, along the main road, you know, the big sort of 60s estate there, New Park Village, that whole, that's going. There's new accommodation coming in there. It will be slowed. Um, that area, I think it's got a fantastic close-knit community. Those Victorian houses, yeah, some of them look a little bit run down. I get complaints about rubbish not being collected, just that pride in, in the local area. But you go behind, you're into a beautiful park, you've got the canal coming up. I think it, these are things that will not be solved overnight, but I think unemployment here is hugely high. Youth unemployment hit the worst in the country a few months ago. We're slowly creeping up now. There's there's some green shoots. But until unemployment is lower, people are not going to have the income to improve where they live, to invest in where they're living. And I think the single biggest thing, people said, if you only get one term as an MP, what's you know, the one thing you want? And it is unemployment. You know, if I can get our unemployment figures down, I would leave very happy. Jane was clearly feeling positive about the regeneration projects. But there's one more expert on Wolverhampton I wanted to speak to about levelling up. So we said our goodbyes and headed out. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Hello. Welcome. Come on Hello. in here. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Is that your beautiful hobby? Mark Andrews is the senior feature writer for Wolverhampton newspaper, The Express and Star. He's in his mid-40s like me. He is very smartly dressed for a Saturday, unlike me. And the classic Rolls-Royce outside his house betrays a passion for vintage cars. We follow him into his modest detached house, which is full of antique knickknacks, to a snug dining room at the back. I'm a local lad. I um, spent my childhood for the first few years in, in Tipton and um, just, um, just about, about five miles from where we are here. I had decided pretty much... I wanted to be a journalist by the time I left school. I got the offer to work on the Express and Star, and I started there in September 1995, um, slightly wary about the commitment of signing a three-year contract at the time. Mm-hmm. And say so 27 years later, I'm still here. What, what do you make of all the national politicians who are suddenly coming here? I, mean, I imagine you'd have to go to these visits. It's a good thing. Yes, we do. I think it, it is a good thing. Um it's a matter of how much difference it makes. I mean, I've slightly got egg on my face this week. Um, we were quite curious about this new department for leveling up headquarters in Wolverhampton. Did an FOI, how many people are working there, as opposed to not working from home, possibly working from London, how many actually in the office, and they declined to reply to it, which made me suspicious. So I spent a morning, Wednesday morning, camped outside there, counting people in. And of course, over 100 people went in there. So clearly, you know, there are people in there. So sometimes we should, you know, we should give these things an opportunity. And it is very easy people people to be too cynical sometimes about these things. They need to be given a, a fair healing, I think. But the proof of the pudding's in the eating. It's one of these things, really, we won't now probably... Well, you know, it would be 10 years before we even have any idea what, what it means. So is the... The uh, solution to levelling up, ultimately devolution, which is something no government in our lifetime has ever really wanted to do. The problem with devolution 
it's how it's how you do it. We're, we're deep, calling calling it just diverting it from one sort of um, government body in Westminster to another one in Birmingham means nothing to us. One, you know, it means it's instead of being two hours away to an hour away, it doesn't really mean anything. In fact, it probably has the opposite effect because people do just find that it just sucks up all, all the investment. Yeah, it needs to be done on a town-by-town basis if it's to mean anything. Every town is important to the people who live there. It isn't just about being in a big city, a big metropolis. It's, it's about every single town has its own sense of place, its own values, its own community. What has gone wrong in Wolverhampton and what needs to get sorted out? I don't think it's so much has gone wrong. I think that's what it's stagnation, I think, is how you describe it. I think in some ways Wolverhampton has done better than other areas around here. I think there's perhaps a bit of an identity crisis with Wolverhampton. When it got city status, I think it was exciting to think it was going to become a big sort of international city and it was never going to happen. It's still the same place it was before. So you're never going to have like, you know, these sort of, People seem to think it was going to become like Birmingham, you know, these huge sort of, sort of plate glass buildings cropping up. That was never going to happen. And it's, 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 it is a place perhaps it just has been a little bit being frozen in time. Hmm. Do you think, um, how do you feel when you go to London? I don't go that often. I mean, it's a place I like going for the day, but I wouldn't, it isn't a place I'd want to live. It's insane. I don't envy London. I don't want to become like London. You know, I, I do prefer living here to living in London. I think it's a better place to live here. Great, thanks Mark. Well, lovely to meet you anyway. Nice to meet you. And you, all the best. I agree with lots of what Mark is saying about Wolverhampton. For all its problems, he has got so much going for it. Not everyone believes me when I tell them, but I keep saying it anyway. With that in mind, there's one more place in Wolverhampton I'd like to take you. Before we left Steve, my old childhood friend, who still lives in the house where he grew up, insisted on a final stop. We arrived at a large art space near the city centre called the Lighthouse. There's a small two-screen cinema upstairs, a cafe and a space for art exhibitions. I remember it also being a nightclub in the 1990s when Wolverhampton had a better nightlife. This used to be the dance floor. <laughs> it's actually a beautiful building. It's a giant conservatory, I'd say. Glass ceilings, green metal frames. And you can see the old uh, Victorian heritage building behind it. It's really beautifully done, actually. You know, you need to be here when it rains real heavy because when you sit out there with a cup of coffee and the rain splashing against the window, yeah. it's, yeah. Well, maybe that's the filmmaker head that I've got going That's as good as Wolverhampton gets. It's one of the highlights. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> Joking. See, I'm doing it again. I'm doing the self-deprecation. So, Steve, why have you taken us here? I started to check out this exhibition, which was very impressive, and I promised the guy that, you know, you guys, and I promised him I'm going to come back with a very important person, which happens to be both of you. Steve gives us a tour of the exhibit. It's good to see such a beautiful space being used so well. You're absolutely great. And I want these guys to just look at the level of detail and the work. Yeah. It took, what, four years? Uh, this one, seven years. Seven years. The themes seem to be making art in unusual ways. There was a collection of engravings done on the head of a pen, 
which we viewed through a microscope. That's incredible. I forgot what was engraved on there now. Like, oh yeah, you'll see it through that. And a series of paintings, full-scale realistic portraits, done entirely in handprints. Is there always an exhibition here? Usually, yeah. Usually, yeah. yeah. But I think more people need to come and see this because yeah. the lighthouse, believe it or not, so many people from Wolverhampton still don't know this place exists. Wow. They don't know about it. Yeah. 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 yeah, it is, it is. Especially when, I mean, look at this. That That's worth seeing. There's a lot more where this came from, but you wouldn't guess it from the way people talk about my hometown. Wolverhampton Art Gallery, a few hundred yards away, is atmospheric and handsome. Wolverhampton Literature Festival is one of the best around. St. Peter's Collegiate Church in the centre of the city is glorious and recently hosted some really great contemporary art. The industrial heritage from the offices of the Express and Star to the Sunbeam Motorcycle Factory is sensational. The people are relentlessly friendly and it's incredibly cheap. Making these positives outweigh the negatives is about more than just cash. It's about devolving real power to local communities and changing the entire way people from Wolverhampton talk about themselves. It's going to take at least a generation to sort out. The architects of the levelling up policy might already be out of here, but I hope that the programme that Boris Johnson endlessly banged on about doesn't disappear with him. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Satnam Sangera. Many thanks to Steve Chutter, my old childhood friend, Jane Stevenson MP for Wolverhampton Northeast, and local journalist Mark Andrews. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel, the executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.